0: Look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770.
1: Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, My co-host here, Dave Popowich. Welcome to More Than Money. Dave, uh, what an interesting week we've had, my friend.
0: Yeah. I mean, we'll talk about... Uh happy to talk about the markets. There's lots to talk about this week for sure. Um, but we've got a really, really cool show today. Um, you know, we lifestyle, is, there's a series of stages you're going to go through in your life uh, as you retire, yeah. right? One of those, at some point, you're likely going to be faced, most of us will be faced with a decision about what level of support do we need and where do we want to age. So care,
1: what kind of care, care and
0: support you right. need as you age. Quality of care, quality of life that you want and where is it going to be, Right. And so um, it ranges in terms of complexity, it, it, your choices, yep. and, and cost, and so on and so forth. And we're going to spend a bit of time talking about the benefits of staying at home, what it's going to take to do that, when should you make that move to a long-term care facility or think about it, and why would you do that?
1: And and money, and the dough, right? It's it's a lot of people underestimate the real costs of mm. long-term care and home care, and
0: it can be six figures. People don't understand. We've it. seen it, it.
1: That's right. We've seen it. Um, What's also cool about this show is um, during this pandemic, many people have been emotionally reacting to their money, to yep. their portfolio, yep. either on the upside or fear of losing money, either direction. And it was, or even asset class. Like, I'm, I should be doing this, right? My yeah. friends are doing this. I, I want to be part be of it. it. I want right. to be part of it. So we want to bring out the what we call behavioral finance. I'm going to call it emotional investing. Better for Let's us. bring that... Uh, let's bring some experts in talking about that because this can destroy your retirement. Yep. We're not talking about just a loss. Right. We're talking about destruction of your retirement if you follow this whole concept of emotional investing. Right. If you stay structured and disciplined, there are benefits for it. And we've got some advice from a, from an expert on what are the three things you need to do. Yeah, from Oxford
0: uh, Risk. And he's got some really interesting points to make. Okay, so on that, that's a good segue into talking about the markets this week.
1: Interesting right. week and why I said that was... Um, there has been a lot of conversation uh, this week about two things, and they are now higher in rank than the pandemic itself mm-hmm. amongst the investor community. Risk number one, inflation. Risk number two, interest rates, specifically the U.S. 10 year uh, government bond is going to shoot up and that's going to change everything. Then number three is COVID. Right. I never ever thought during this pandemic, that inflation would be a bigger issue on people's plates than the pandemic itself. Well, there's that optimism is growing that there's light
0: at the end of the tunnel. In fact, some have moved beyond it, right? They're out of the tunnel already and doing their thing. And and listen, there are various countries. We've all got different paces at which that's happening. But um, the market is trying to digest that. Now, what I have to say is in a recovery year, regardless of if it's a pandemic problem, but off of a crisis, we're in a recovery year coming out of recession. A number of things typically happen, and one of those things that happens is rising interest rates in response to a recovering economy. That's not unique to the pandemic, right? We also get businesses doing better as economies recover, correct? and that leads to improvement in earnings. Correct. And so the market this year we knew was going to be digesting that information in one way, shape, or form, right? The question was going to be, was the market going to start pricing in inflation and interest rates before we saw that recovery in earnings taking place because there had to be an adjustment in valuations.
1: Right? There is such a debate out there right now in the investment community, especially with, with active money managers. Right. And here's an example of a, what would you rather buy today? Knowing that these two companies, you would have to pay 50 years of earnings for and buy that company today. So it's an either or. Knowing both have a 50 years of earnings that you're going to be paying for in advance. And the the example that was given out with a couple of the of the groups that I've been chatting with are Netflix versus General Electric. Mm-hmm. Both have the same 50-year earnings. Who would what would you rather buy? It was interesting to hear the debate that was going on in that example because there are completely two different industries in two different economic cycles, servicing two different customers. Right. And the debate that was going on, that saying, well, Netflix will continue to grow. No, 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 GE is now the place to be, and it's just showing industrial versus tech, at home versus uh, out of the house. Those types of debates are happening, and that's why you're seeing this type of volatility, mm-hmm. literally hour by hour. You could sit back for an hour and just see a change purely from conversation that's happening by politicians or by movement of money that's happening. And so the volatility is moving up to some degree, mm-hmm. not in the general market. If you look at what we call the VIX or the volatility index, it's lower than it was two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Yep. But the chatter of what's gonna happen has gone up, which is I think a good leading indicator of volatility that comes down. Right, we're gonna talk a little later in the show
0: about patience um, and how <laughs> valuable that can be, right? based on some structure and strategy that you have, but this, this daily price discovery that takes place freaks people out, right? And the market's gonna have to find an equilibrium. It has to find a place where the bond markets and the stock markets and economists think, okay, this, this is a reasonable uh, representation of where we are today, yep. right? And, and that will determine where yields settle in and so on and so forth. But this is what the U.S. Fed said this week in their, um, in their commentary. They said that the U.S. economy is gonna grow at a 6.4% annualized pace. That's the fastest pace in 30 or 40 years. Yep. Okay, That's been upgraded from their December forecast. They said unemployment's going to drop to 4.5% in the United States from a little north of 6 right now. They said inflation will move up to their 2% target rate, perhaps a little bit beyond that. Okay, And they said all of that is great. That's a recovery. Interest rates can move up based on the improving economics. Okay? And that we have the tools to take care of inflation if, in fact, it were to become disorderly. Okay? So interest rates are going to, we're going to keep interest rates low all the way through 2023. Now, what is bad about that? What is bad in that statement? There's nothing bad in that statement. We're in a recovery cycle.
1: Many people in the bond market don't believe
0: them. Now, now we have a difference of opinion, don't we? Always do. From what the Fed is saying (laughs) to what the market is pricing in.
1: Correct. And there you have your price
0: discovery. That's why we have it, right? So now you have to pick, um, you know, investors need to think a little bit about this notion of patient structure and discipline, right? Yeah. So where do you, what do you think is gonna happen, right? Is this a good news story with a, an economic recovery and inflation being driven because of an economic recovery? Is there no recovery and just inflation going higher? Stagflation, yeah. right? you've got to form an opinion about that and move away from that daily price discovery driving your emotional decisions every day.
1: Yeah, and that's, and unfortunately for the average individual or household that's investing or someone's investing for them, and all they do is look on their online uh, um, application or online on their computer to see how their portfolio is doing. You're gonna find more and more people do that. In fact, I I caught myself over the last two weeks for the first time during this pandemic I looked at my own portfolio, which is the same portfolio that we manage for our clients. So I see it every day anyways, but if I I look at my own account account. for the first time in a year. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, what what does it look like? And I go, why the heck am I doing that? Why am I so worried about what's happened in that portfolio on that day? Mm -hmm. Now I can only imagine what our clients, Mm -hmm. our listeners, viewers on social media of ours that are going through, how many times do they check online and see, okay, look, it's going up, it's going down, markets are down, how did my portfolio do? Markets are up, how did my portfolio do? Right. And they're comparing themselves to this. That just brings more anxiety, I think. It does. And I think that's gonna continue to happen and it's happening because it's so easy. Literally, with facial recognition on your phone, you can be connected to your portfolio in seconds. Right. And you can see minute by minute what's happening. How does that help? Right. And that's gonna be a concern, I think, for the next little while, because people are still at home as they get out and about and get busy, they won't be paying attention to those things as much. Right. So right now, a lot of attention on it, which means a lot more volatility from the average retail and household investor at this point in time.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree. Listen, we, we have to, one of the things that we do is we, we educate, right? We think it's important. And you hear us, if you're a listener to this show, you hear us talk about structure and discipline all the time. Yeah. Okay. And and truly those, I call them the superpowers, right? And and they are an investor's superpowers over time. And we will prove that to you with some data later in this show about if you don't have that structure and discipline, how it can destroy return over time and perhaps put at risk your retirement, right? Now, we have to put this into context. What do we mean by structure and discipline? What does it look like and how do people put it into practice?
1: Yeah. Structure, discipline, and a strategy to bulletproof your retirement is what we're going to talk about on Tuesday, March 23rd, 7 p.m., live online. Now, you need to register for this, so go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register.
0: Did you know it could cost you $100,000 a year to stay in your home, age in place? Can you afford that? Let's talk about how to make sure you get the best care you can at the best price. You're, uh, join us after the break. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Faisal, we have um, had a, a number of fundamental shifts um, as we've gone through this pandemic. Everything from the way we shop, the way we entertain and interact with family that are remote, and and quite frankly, the way we're thinking about and planning our futures.
1: Yeah, and and, and when we, we've gone through this pandemic, there's been a big concern about long-term care facilities. Uh, we're getting more and more conversations and questions about what are the choices that I have given what's uh, come out of this. And um, what if I don't want to go into a long-term care facility and I want to age at home? How does, how does all that work? So,
0: Tons of people thinking about that. We've got Karen Henderson, who's the founder of Long-Term Care Planning Network, independent aging, and also a long-term care planning specialist. Karen, nice to see you again. Thanks for taking some time with us on the show.
2: Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here.
0: Why don't we just get your feedback? This is your area of specialization. I would love to get um, just some thoughts as to what you're seeing, hearing, and how people are behaving relative to the choices they have as as they age, aging in place versus long-term care.
2: Well, I will tell you that Canadians are very much concerned about what is happening as a result of COVID. And I don't think I've ever seen more concern or interest in the long-term care system in this country. And as a matter of fact, uh, TELUS and the National Institute of Aging did a survey back in July of 2020 and the vast majority of Canadians said that as they get older they would do anything to stay out of a care facility. However, the survey also uh, revealed that um, 79% said they had not spoken to a healthcare provider um about what what would happen if they were for example to fall in their own home so on the one hand people are looking at remaining in their own home but on the other hand too many are not looking at the planning that is required to safely do this
0: yeah that i mean that doesn't that doesn't shock me there's been a shift that's taken place here and one of the things i think you can take from that comment is there's you know it's nice to to want that but you're going to have to do a little bit of research to understand mm-hmm. What's required and maybe let's start with the home. So if somebody's deciding, you know, I, I really want to avoid long term care as long as I can. And we'll come back to that comment in a minute. What do I have to what could I expect in terms of changes from my current living arrangements?
2: Well, um, what are the advantages of staying at your own home? Well, obviously it's a, it's a safe, familiar environment. You're independent, uh, you're self-determined. You can eat when you want, you can sleep when you want. You're around hopefully family and you have a consistent routine. And the disadvantages are that, um, there may not be people around you. If you were to stay home, your home may need to be adapted. Uh, to make it safe for you which can be costly depending on what had to be has to be done and uh, if you don't have room for a caregiver to overnight if required that can that can create a problem but the biggest problem about remaining in your own home is to avoid loneliness and social isolation uh, a lot of research has is being done in this area right now and um, What the what the research is saying is that there is a great risk of physical and mental decline for those who are isolated or lonely and um, loneliness can be as dangerous, believe it or not, as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And also it worsens the uh, possibility of suffering from dementia and it also worsens chronic illnesses that already exist so it's so important that people who want to remain in their own homes remain socially connected
1: karen there's a lot of people that we speak to on a day-to-day basis that when we speak about long-term care facilities or aging at home i would say majority of them have said i want to stay at home i do not want to go into a facility and we try to bring up the uh, the conversation of what the facility can provide that may not be available at home basically going through the pros and cons and so for our listeners today Uh, what would you say are the pros and cons of both? Living at home or living in a long-term care facility?
2: Well, I mentioned the advantages and disadvantages of staying in your own home. The advantages of going into a care home are that there is 24-7 care and supervision for those who require it. And this is particularly important for people who suffer from a cognitive impairment such as Alzheimer's disease. Um, You get... uh, what. When you get good care in a home, it, people blossom. So they blossom because they're eating properly, they are taking their medications or the medications are being um, uh, administered properly uh, and they are socializing, they're with other people, they're not isolated anymore. But there are also disadvantages for, for care uh, care home living. First of all, it is group living and not everyone is happy in being in a group. It's regulated, so everything that you do, when you eat, when you go to bed, is all regulated. There's limited access, quite frankly, the doors are locked. And clearly there can be close proximity to others, which means that you can catch a virus such as the flu or indeed COVID much more easily in, in a congregate setting than perhaps you would at home.
1: I think people don't yeah. understand the costs of either one of the, the two choices Correct. that you may have from a long-term care facility or living at home. Uh, Karen, why don't you go through some of the things that people need to be aware of when it comes to the real cost of aging at home or in a, in a long-term care. Well,
2: it's as initially cheaper to stay in your own home. I mean, if you're reasonably healthy, um, you, you know what your expenses are and you can plan for those expenses. Things get a little bit dicey at home when you start needing care, and the provinces in this country do subsidize home care. It's an average of two hours a day, and that's fine, um, but if you require six, seven, or ten hours a day, then you can be looking at anywhere from $35,000 to over $100,000 a year to stay in your own home with ultimately 24-7 care. When you move into a facility, um, the rates for either a ward level room, which is over three people to a room, a semi-private or a private room are all legislated by provincial governments and depending on where you live um the rates can be anywhere from you know like five hundred dollars a month to three thousand dollars a month which um you know is is more manageable than paying for heavy duty home care
0: yeah i think there's a To your point karen there can be a very wide range of costs so the, the quality of care and the quality of lifestyle that you want if you're moving into a long-term care facility you can find a very very wide range um, certainly well in x of three thousand dollars a month if you want it but the point is in both cases there are going to be some costs associated with maintaining that lifestyle yeah right I depending think on what, what you choose what
1: many people don't realize is that if you are a couple that the biggest risk is that right. you're going to be having one potentially yeah. a long-term care facility and one at home, right. and now you're basically covering two households, right. and it increases the expenses. And how do you plan for that? Like you don't right. know if it's going to happen until it happens, right. and so we're yeah, trying to figure this stuff out. You have to look at worst-case scenarios sometimes and and be prepared for that.
2: Well, what you what you need to do is if you are a couple. You need to sit down and hopefully talk with your family if you've got adult children and and be very, just be brutally honest about, um, is it really possible for us to stay at home? And some of the questions that you need to ask uh, about staying at home is, first of all, do I have support? So do I either have family or friends who can support us at home? Can next, can the home be adapted so that that the the husband and wife can remain safe because, as I mentioned, one of the biggest risks is having a fall. And I remember when my father had a fall, when he was living at home, it was the beginning of the end. He fell, he broke his hip, he had a stroke and, you know, things were downhill from there. Um, If you want to stay at home, can we afford the home care? is the home um, convenient to transportation if the if the couple stops driving is it convenient to services that they need such as their physician their their pharmacy uh, their drugstore and so on and then finally if we stay in our own home can we still be a part of our community so that we don't end up being isolated and um And also the children have to be very honest with mom and dad and say, you know what, Um, we live far from you if they do, we've got our own families and our own jobs, and there's a good chance, mom and dad, that we can't be there 24 hours a day to look after you or to help look after you. So as I said, it can be a brutal conversation, but it has to be a very frank one in a family to determine, where the best place is to age that may be in the home and it may not be it may be a retirement home or ultimately it may be a nursing home or long-term care home
0: karen thank okay. you very much yeah um we can't do justice to this Full. we'll have to continue <laughs> this conversation because it will be a big big topic over it is. time. It's a huge but topic. i want to thank you yeah i want to thank you again for spending some time with us and sharing those thoughts and i think getting people point in the right direction in terms of their thinking
2: good well I'm, I'm very glad that you've uh, opened up to this issue because it is a big one thank you again
0: terrific we've been joined by Karen Henderson who's a founder of long-term care planning Network independent aging and also a long-term care planning specialist listen my friend this is part of the overall um, Uh, mix of decisions and planning you need to do when you're planning for a lifestyle, right? As you're moving into retirement.
1: When you're going through retirement, we always think about the fun years. This may not be the the not so fun years that you're talking about and how do you plan and provide income for the rest of your life. We're going to discuss this as part of the strategy on Tuesday, March 23rd, 7 p.m. live online. Now you need to register for this. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register.
0: So stick around after the break to find out if emotional investing might be putting your retirement at risk. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money here with Dave and Faisal. And we're talking today, Faisal, about a topic that I think is going to be of real interest um, in this particular environment, you know, during the pandemic and post-pandemic. Now, it's something that we have talked about in the past. It's called behavioral finance. And it's it has an influence. We often talk to people about the fact that Investing is part math and science, and it's part art and emotion.
1: Yeah, and let's change the words today from behavioral finance only to emotional investing. Emotional investing I think that's where the focus is going to be. We've seen that throughout our career in this business, but I think it's going to be a little bit different this time around because of the pandemic. Very rare times do we have in history where we've been uh, seeing such opportunities in different types of yeah. asset classes yeah. while going through a recession, while being isolated in your own uh, own dwelling, and a whole bunch of things that are going on. And now um, emotional investing will come out, I right. think, at a higher level. But let's, let's talk to the experts who have been doing a lot more research on this.
0: Well, and I think why people need to pay particular attention um, to this conversation is because this can actually do real damage to your, uh, to your uh, portfolio the flow of capital, your ability to fund your lifestyle in retirement. This can do real damage if you get it wrong. Anyways, we've got a terrific guest to help us understand this. Uh, Dr. Greg Davies, PhD, Head of Behavioral Finance, Oxford Risk. Greg, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you very much, Jens.
0: Okay, so um, you have said that this could be a perfect storm for emotional investing. I think we're going to start with that statement right there and maybe walk us why you think that's the case and what do you mean. (laughs)
3: Well, you, you, we've had financial crises before, two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. You know, markets got incredibly disrupted. Everyone got stressed, but there was a very big difference between that and the situation we're at now because that was a that was a financial crisis almost exclusively. Whereas now we have potentially, for many people, simultaneously a financial crisis. Their livelihoods are are, are at risk. Many people uh, are, are you know are not getting the income. They don't have the certainty of income they used to. It is also a health crisis and it is a social crisis because we've all been shut away from each other. These stresses all compound on each other. And one of the things that we know that happens when people are are stressed, when people are anxious, is that the emotional component of our decision starts to loom larger and larger and larger. And in an investing context, you could think what happens is people's emotional time horizons get shorter. And if you want to be a good investor, you, you need to be focused on the horizon. You need to be focused on the long term. And the more our decisions are made around what makes me feel emotionally comfortable today, the more I'm going to be deviating from what is actually good investment decision making and good practice for my long term financial needs. So all of these stresses crowd in. Add to that, people are stuck at home. They've got time on their hands. There's there's boredom. All of these things compound into this, this perfect storm.
1: Greg, I... I've always heard from many of the experts in the market saying there's two things that push the market up or down, fear and greed. And I wanna challenge that with many of them. I think it's fear and fear of missing out. I think those are the two that actually drive markets more. I don't think it's greed. Mm -hmm. I think people are afraid of missing out. And so we know, and your research has shown that the average investor loses 3% average rate of return per year over the long term because of emotional investing. And now your feeling is gonna be even more given this, uh, this pandemic. Give us a bit more insight of why you think, first of all, where did we get the 3% from and why you think it's gonna be more this time around? Yeah, so the, the
3: 3% comes from looking at reams and reams of academic studies and academic literature over the last decades about how our emotionally led decision-making costs us money in various ways. But we can roughly think of this as coming in two big chunks. One chunk is, The fear, very much closely related to the fear aspect, is uh, probably the biggest behavioral cost for most people is not what you do when you're invested. It's the fact that many people are too reluctant to invest in the first place. They leave money that they don't need for expenditure in the next couple of years. They They leave it sitting in cash, year after year after year after year. And the lost, the foregone returns from failing to invest for emotional reasons can for many people actually be the biggest behavioral cost uh, when it comes to doing the right thing with your money. The other component is when we are invested, we do what feels comfortable in the moment. That frequently means we overtrade. It means we tend to take on more risk when times are good and less risk when times are bad. And you really don't need me to sit here and tell you that you should be buying low and selling high, not the reverse. But our psychology leads us to do exactly the opposite. And that those, those actions that we take along the investment journey um, cost us money in the long-term because what we're doing is we're, we're acting in a way that buys me the emotional comfort I need to get through today. But in doing so, I'm taking actions that are costing me money in terms of long-term returns. And that is often thought of as what's called the behavior gap. It's the gap between the investment returns if I just invested my money in a diversified portfolio and sat tight doesn't take a great deal of skill to do that, but the average investor probably underperforms that simple buy-and-hold strategy by around one5 to 2% per year for the money they put into the markets.
0: Greg, let me just, maybe you can expand on this, um, about market timing. So uh, I get exactly what you're saying, and part of this sitting on cash often for people is this notion that I'm going to wait for a pullback or I'm going to time the market. But that market timing decision also happens all the time with investors when they see volatility, say, in the stock market, they get scared, they sell out, and they're going to wait to get back in lower. And we know that they almost never do that, right? Because it's terrifying when it's low. They would rather buy high. And there's your scenario about buying high, selling low. So what can you tell us about that market timing decision that people try to make as well?
3: Well, for most people, and here I'm not talking about professional investors who, who are forced to be in the market or are forced to time. The, the, the thing that uh, a retail or a, or a household investor has that the professionals do not have, and it is a huge advantage, is they have the value of time. They can just afford to put money in and wait. They can sit out the ups and downs. Now, they can do that financially, but very often they cannot do it emotionally. And so for a a retail investor, a non-professional investor, honestly, the best thing to do with regard to market timing is not to try to do it. Because, um, you know, when do I put my money in the market? There is not a single day in the whole of recorded human history where it would not have been really easy to find an excuse why today I should not invest. Because there's always something going on in the newspapers. There's always some, you know, some bad news. And what we find is that when people are sitting on cash, uninvested, they lurch from one excuse to another of why today I should not get it in. And often those excuses are, I'm waiting for the right time. But how do you know when the right time is there? You you, you simply don't, right? So it is much better to go, I don't have a crystal ball. What I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna put my money in. And for investors of this sort, frankly, an optimal strategy is one of benign neglect that put your money to work and then just leave it alone. Now, that is not emotionally easy to do because as humans, we have this this action bias. We, we, we think that um, if I'm invested, if all my money's in that market, I better be doing something with it all the time. Whereas in reality, frankly, the best thing to be doing is is nothing for quite a lot of that time.
1: Greg, we've seen a big rush of other types of investments that have been very popular during this pandemic and maybe even just before the pandemic one being Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, other ones being these meme stocks, maybe even a gold rush if you want to call that to some degree. Well, how do those types of investments get so popular uh, from a from a, an emotional perspective? And I can go back to even cannabis stocks when it first came out here in Canada, uh, where people were going saying, "Just we have to be part of that," um, and that's where I get my FOMO idea, the fear of missing out. Tell me about more about how how it gets to this kind mm. of level where people are just going. I get a lot more phone calls about cryptocurrency now than I ever have in history. And so why are people doing that now? So maybe you can give me some insight on where does that that mindset or behavioral viewpoint come from?
3: Yeah, I mean, one thing I might challenge there is the characterization of those things as investments. Because um, a lot of the time, the behavior we're seeing is not investing behavior. It's, it's, it's gambling behavior. But... Um, you know the two things that we've already drawn attention to the fact that people have time on their hands and they're bored and the fact that people are stressed and they have a shorter emotional time horizon those are still playing out but when we start to look at at the sorts of investments that you're talking about um, you're absolutely right on the fomo because particularly in times of stress the the appeal of the get rich quick scheme gets looms emotionally larger it becomes more and more appealing and when i see other people around me as humans we are incredibly relative people The fact that I maybe, my investments may have gone up by 10% is not enough to make me happy if I see that my neighbor's investments have gone up by 20%. And so absolutely you're right, that FOMO is is there. The other thing that I think plays on this is there is a very strong social element in this. Um, The effect of social media, the effect of information sharing in groups, in in tribes, in like-minded people, a lot of this behavior is people gain a lot of emotional comfort from belonging to a group and from following a herd and so in a way sitting outside can start to be the stressful thing and so we pile into these meme stocks into uh, you know into these uh, these investments that that, that are um, whims of the moment Greg we're gonna have to pause there for
0: a moment but I want you to stick around and thank you for uh, joining us just uh, after the break I'll get back to that moment but Faisal, we've got an upcoming seminar that that we've got to try to make some sense of this stuff, right? So the emotional investing, taking advantage of opportunities, not falling victim, uh, you know, to to the short-term FOMO effects that you talk about, all an important element of making sure that you get long-term success in retirement.
1: It's about structure and discipline, Dave, and that's what we're going to talk about with our five-pillar investment strategy at our seminar on Tuesday, March 23rd, 7 p.m., live online. Now, you need to register for this, so give us a call. Uh, call. How about you give us a registration on our email uh, by going to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com.
0: Vaccines are rolling out. People are getting more optimistic. Okay, that's an emotional investing trigger. What problems can you experience coming up? Stick around after the break to make sure that you don't fall victim to one of those. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Faisal, we talk about emotional investing and FOMO and these, these, you know, Greg's talking about the triggers and the behaviors that can often cost us significant amounts of return on a compounded basis each and every year. Well, guess what? Vaccines are rolling out. I'm feeling more optimistic. You're feeling more optimistic. I can't wait to get back out there and see my friends and socialize and do all these things, but that optimism may be a trigger for some emotional investing decisions, and it could lead us to a very interesting place. Let's find out from Greg Davies. Greg Davies uh, is the Ph. Sorry, he's a PhD, and he's the head of Behavioral Finance, Oxford Risk. Greg, welcome back, and thank you for sticking around. I am curious if we're talking about emotional investing, and people are, you know, emotionally getting ready. I mean, if I feel like if I'm normal, I'm ready to get back out there, start socializing, and feel better. Could that optimism and that emotion lead me down a path from an investment perspective that might be dangerous?
3: It, it could do. I have to say, I think the bigger danger here is less, um, in the investment side and it's in the spending side. Um, there's a, there's a big danger right that, um, people are going to feel this optimism. They're going to, it's going to feel like the problem solved and there's an enormous virtue yeah. to admitting to oneself that we don't have a crystal ball. Yeah. And once you do that, the issue is not what can I predict coming around the corner? It's how do I make myself resilient? to whatever comes around the corner. And one of the things that we need to do there is to make sure that you don't suddenly go out and start spending too much and, and, and your, your war chest of resilience that's gonna get you through whatever might come up next dwindles away. So I think people need to be very cautious getting back and not going out on a big spending spree and going, well, hey, the world is, the world is fantastic again. Um, I think there are investment dangers as well um, of people being optimistic. Um, Although I I actually wonder whether on balance the problem isn't more likely to be in the other direction. Because you already said earlier, after a crisis, people are out of the markets, they struggle to get back in. And very often, they wait and they wait and they wait, and then the markets have gone up, and then they think, oh no, I'm too late. And so you never get back in at all. I think possibly the biggest problem here is people not thinking through this in the sense of, actually, we, we know in the US, in the UK, cash balances on, the, on a household basis are, are much higher than normal. Now, holding some of that cash is quite useful, but actually getting it invested for the long term is even more useful. And I feel that there may be a bigger danger of paralysis here than there is of over-optimistic surging back
1: into the markets. We see paralysis come in, and at times like this, when we call it an economic recovery, mm-hmm. we also see an aggressive behavior with some. The, they didn't make as much last year or they're they're behind on their goals or when you when you produce a retirement plan for somebody and say you might have to delay your retirement or save more money the response with many is just, just go make me more money let's, let's increase the risk that's out there yeah. just so i can catch up and i find that's a, that's an issue hmm. what's been some of your your research on that greg in regards to people trying to feel like they have to catch up in these types of scenarios
3: It's a huge problem, possibly one of the most studied uh, psychological factors when it comes to behavioral science in finances is uh, is loss aversion. People really, really, really hate feeling like they're behind something that they've previously achieved, like they're they're lower than they wanted to be. And when that happens, um, rather than relinquish my expectations and go, you know what, Uh, in 2019, I wanted to get you know up there, but 2020 happened and it was a bad year. And I have to I have to just reevaluate where I'm heading for. Instead of doing that, people go actually you know what if I'm going to get there if I'm going to get to where I was hoping to get to I need to roll the dice. And that loss aversion I mean it's a very immediate emotional trigger. Um, being in the red relative to where I wanted to be leads to a whole lot of very knee jerk reactions and many of them come from additional risk taking. So yeah that I think will be a danger for many. What is important here, by the way, is there are so many of these things going in different directions and understanding the individual is really important.
1: Yeah, we have about one minute left before we have to go to break here, Greg. Give us three tips for our listeners right now on how they can become more successful in their investing based on your research. So the first thing I would say
3: is any decision you make, give yourself a pause point. Never enact the decision that you've made immediately. Take a walk around the block, sleep on it overnight, Phone a friend, whatever it is, give yourself, uh, give yourself a break there. Second thing is, try not to look at the detail before you look at the big picture. There's information coming at us all the time. Look, look big big picture first. And the third thing is, um, try to focus all your decisions on a longer horizon. Our emotional horizons are short at times like this. We need to be thinking about our long-term goals and our decision-making should come from that wellspring. Greg, well said. Thank you very much. We're going to have
0: to wrap it up at that point. We appreciate you taking the time with us today. Best to you. We've been joined by Dr. Greg Davies, PhD head of behavioral finance at Oxford Risk. You know, risk is a big part of the overall equation, right? You've made so many good points in in this particular conversation alone about how people respond to being behind, or Greg said they don't take the long term, it's the short term, or God forbid their neighbor had a higher rate of return than they did. All of these things lead to a lack of discipline, a knee-jerk reaction, as Greg said, and we're going to make sure that that doesn't happen.
1: Correct. Structure, discipline. And we're going to give a bit of a tip to everybody at this webinar on losing less is making more in a lot of cases, and we're going to do that on Tuesday, March 23rd, 7 p.m., live online. You need to register. So go to our website at morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register.
0: All right. Thanks for joining us for another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. We look forward to chatting with you next week.